Good morning, Smithfield. There is no more powerful a phrase to step up to any place where a Christian can speak the message than have thine own way, Lord. No matter the pastor, no matter the street evangelist, no matter the workplace table conversation, we pray, have thine own way, Lord. And if we can surrender to that and truly let him flow in to every space where he belongs, and that's everywhere, his will will be done. We have to step aside and let him speak. And that's what I pray, and that's what Peter prays. Every Sunday you see him up here praying. He's not even singing most of the time. He's praying for the Lord to come into his life and our lives and do something powerful. So pray that in your minds today, that the Lord can step into here and do something powerful. So often, we as believers struggle with how to behave or to respond in situations in our lives in a manner that gratifies Christ. We struggle sometimes maybe with remembering why we even behave in godly ways or even wonder how it could even be possible to respond in a godly way in every instance. We question what the purpose of it is all for at some times. Why do I have to not say this one thing? Why do I have to keep from being angry on the road? Why do I have to be so, so good all the time? But that is our calling. And it's hard in a world that seems to and does fly in the face of God's peaceful prescription for life and salvation. A peaceful, humble God who said to give to Caesar what is Caesar and turn the other cheek versus a world that tells you to take and take and take. It can be hard to uphold what we know to be true. But today I offer a message of warning and a word of encouragement. And it comes straight from the God who warned me and encouraged me in these instances. I always preface this every time I'm ever up here. I am speaking to myself as well as anyone in earshot because God has spoken this to us already in his passage in Galatians. We must examine ourselves in the light of God's scripture and his instruction alone. No other measuring stick could possibly add up to his glory other than his word. We need to evaluate the state of our relationship with Christ so that we can better assess the behaviors we exhibit and whether we are truly tapping into the support we have in Christ to cast off, and here's our themes for the day, to cast off the works of the flesh and bring on the fruit of the Spirit. Cast off the negative behaviors associated with the sinful body and cling to the everlasting joy and reward that the fruits of the Spirit bring into us. We struggle due to sin bringing forth the works of the flesh in our lives, but the eternal reward, the peaceful conclusion, and the means to combat it are all in Christ Jesus. His reward for following Him is worth infinitely more than the reward for behaving like the world according to the rules of the world. Christ will always be the better outcome. So if you all would turn to Galatians 5, 16 through 26. That's where we're going to be going through today. And the contrast here is between the way we are born into our sin nature and the way God intended us to be. And if we can grasp 
how God intended us to be from the outset and embody it, it's life-changing. Because if we embody it, the fruits of the Spirit start to well up. And others see that. And others can harvest that fruit. But it's all from our Christ, and it's all because of our Christ. So if you've turned there today, we're going to open up and read our focal passage, Galatians 15, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's Galatians 5, 16-26. Bow your heads and let's pray over the reading of the Word and the message today. Heavenly Father, we must cling to Your Word alone and Your teachings alone. They are what save lives. They are what change hearts. They are what moves through this world. It's You and the Word that You've given us. There's no more powerful tool, no more powerful thing we can tap into than Your Word. It has changed my life. It's changed the lives of the people in this room. It's changed the world because You desire to change the world in a way that glorifies You and brings us home. Because it works at the same time. You receive the glory and we receive eternal life by your grace alone. Bless the reading of this word today. Bless this church, this congregation, every ear within earshot, that they may hear what you are saying to them. Not what anyone who preaches a message to them says, but what you are saying to them through your messengers. We love you, our God. We praise you, our God. And we're here to worship you, our God. We pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen. We have just seen a picture of two different sides of the human condition. And the battle here lies between the works of the flesh operating in our lives and the fruit of the Spirit God provides to combat it in a healthy relationship with Him. The fruit of the Spirit comes about when you have decided that the relationship with God is the only thing that's worth it. But these two natures are completely separate and cannot coexist. Look at verse 17 with me one more time. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. They cannot coincide. We struggle with 
acting like a Christian, parentheses, and sometimes, because the work of the flesh continue to assault us even as we are believers, but they cannot coexist. The war of our sin nature, the way we're born, what we're born into because of Adam and Eve, against the nature of the Holy Spirit, how we were intended, will always be fought with our hearts as the battleground. It goes on right here. It's like the old Native American proverb. I don't know if it's any validity or not. You have two wolves fighting inside you. Which one wins? The one you feed more? It's the same idea. Why then and how did we even get into the state of internal conflict? Let me ask you a follow-up question. Who has some measure of power over this earth apart from God? Who commands sin natures and influences us away from Christ? Satan himself. He has a measure over our hearts, but let's look at Scripture and compare it to what God is really in control of. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We all started under who? Following the prince of the power of the air. Once Adam and Eve decided to sin against God, they gave control to Satan. But let's not be confused, brothers and sisters. Christ did not and does not bring sin or harm into our lives. He's not the one causing us to fall into the works of the flesh. A lot of people like to blame God for all the sin and catastrophe in their life. Well, how did God let this happen? Why did God do this to me? I guess I deserved this punishment. I guess I deserved to lose my mom. Christ didn't do that to you, brothers and sisters. We chose it. And it's a hard truth to understand. But we chose sin. Adam and Eve chose it. And we're dealing with it today. But there's hope in that. From that moment in Adam and Eve, Christ and God set forth the plan to pay that sin. From that moment, some untold thousands of years ago, Christ had a plan to make sure that we could still come home to him. Satan does not have any power over the Trinity in any capacity. He cannot say, I'm going to get God on this one. That person, I'm going to get him. God's not going to touch them today. They're in my control. They might be in his control, but if God really wanted them, he could swoop them up and take them. But oftentimes, he leaves us to figure out that he is the best option here. That he is the only option here. While we chose that path of sin, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, Christ has always been the antidote. So how does this apply to my initial question? Why do we have to hold up to what we know is right? Hold up to the standards? It's because we have a standard to uphold. And a Christ to reflect. And the Trinity provides the only way to cast off sin nature and start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. 
I say the Trinity because a lot of times I catch myself exclusively saying or praying to one part of the facet of the Trinity. Jesus, 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 God, God, God. Rarely do I ever say the Holy Spirit. So I've been convicted in myself to say, Holy Spirit, come in here. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. So we say the Trinity, the Trinity, the Godhead three in one. The Trinity has always provided the way to cast that out. Now there's two sides of this. There's obviously the bad news side and the good news side. But they're both essential to hear. So we'll start with the warning. Our sin nature, the plague that afflicts us all since birth, is what breeds the works of the flesh. You don't have to teach a kid how to steal, right? You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You don't have to teach a kid how to wallop their sibling when they anger them. It happens. Now, you would say those are behaviors that a parent seeks to correct, I hope. My parents corrected me thoroughly. So this is an issue that we deal with as children, our sin nature. So what does the behaviors of the world and the works of the flesh even look like? This is heavy stuff, but let's go back through verse 19 through the beginning of 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Evident, my friends, they're everywhere. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's some heavy and deep concepts. Many pastors could probably make a whole series of sermons over those principles and how God combats each and every one individually. But we see them every day, don't we? You see them in your own personal lives, in your own hearts, and you see them around you. They continue to assault us, but God once again has provided the answer out. How often do we catch ourselves reacting to the world in one of these ways? How often do we see other people acting this way in our workplace and lives? How easy is it to notice when other people are exhibiting a work of the flesh when we may be doing the exact same thing? Humanity loves to look at other people before itself. I know I'm guilty of that. It's so easy to say, why can't that person just act right? And Christ is looking at the back of my head saying, why can't you act right, my son? how this world works. But once you've put yourself in God's sight that the only thing that's going to heal your heart and the heart around Him is Him, the only thing that's going to cleanse this world is Jesus Christ, it realigns your whole world. We can clearly distinguish those as the work of our sin nature manifested in the works of the flesh. It's like the root of the tree is our sin nature and the fruit that comes off of it, in this case, is the works are all of these vile things, immorality, impurity, sensuality. The scary thing about the most of this is that the world sees no problem with these. And if you live amongst the world and not clinging to God for long enough, what do you think is going to happen to your mind? You're going to not see a problem with them. At least to the scale God is talking about. That's why we cling. That's why we read our scripture. That's why we do Bible studies. 
That's why we fellowship together. Is to remind ourselves what's at stake. Because he's going to get to what's at stake in a second. Then we're going to get to the hope he stabs into this situation. It can be so easy to respond to angrily to situations or be jealous of a neighbor or fall into sexual immorality. We see people give in to drunkenness, into rivalries, and into idolatry, perhaps the most commonly, putting anything before what they should have with God. Cars, money, family, anything that they put as a higher priority than God, that's idolatry. Even themselves. People love to put themselves above God. We are all guilty of that at some point. But I'm going to say it again, there's hope. The second half of verse 21 is a reminder, however, of God's justice. This is the penalty for living like that. This is the penalty for living in that type of sin. His assurance of living in the works of the flesh full time. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Any add-ons to that sentence? Any conditions? Any amendments later in the text? That's it. This is the warning he places for all those who continue a life of habitual sin. Many people wonder if they're Christian or assume that they are. I would invite them to look at this focal passage in Galatians and examine what is more prominent in the lives of themselves, the works of the flesh, or the fruits of the Spirit? And I ask people to think of this honestly. There were facets of my life not too long ago that were holding me back from the fruit of the Spirit. It was something that was a habitual thing. But you know what Christ did? Because they can't coexist. He carved it out. They cannot coexist. So examine, what do you see more in your life? The works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? And that's the best place for you to be when you realize which one that is. There's no wrong answer there. God's the right answer. If you say, man, the flesh is really bogging me down right now. God says, great, come to me. You've realized it. You're there. You're in the spot. Come on. If you say, well, the fruits of the Spirit have been manifest in my life. God says, great, let's clean up the little bit hiding in the corner. Because we know that full sanctification arrives when? When we get to heaven. So is there anything that any one of us can say, no, I'm good, I ain't got nothing to work on. I'm good. I've met people that I think that of. It's like, there's no way. This person is like, they have got it down. They understand. They're in their scripture. But if they really are in their scripture, they will be the first to admit that they have more to work on they will be the first to admit that they have more to go. To be more like Christ until we eventually stand with Him. Whatever is the answer to that question is a worthy indicator of your condition with Christ. If the Spirit lives within us, then it cannot coexist with a habitual sin nature. Now, does this mean that if we truly are in a relationship with Christ, a working, functioning, talking relationship with Christ, and we slip up at all into one of these things, poof, no more salvation? No. And we know that because lots of many, of many, of solid, 
Bible-believing, God-talking-to-Christians fall into a work of the flesh for a time or a spell or a one-off instant because Satan is crafty. And we learned back in the first passage that we want to disobey, but Christ stops us. What it means is that if we see one or more of these things popping up frequently or maybe controlling a part of our lives, we need to seriously reconsider our relationship with Christ. I'm not trying to tell believers that you're not believers because you have a habitual sin. What I'm telling you is reevaluate your walk with Christ. There might be priorities that need to shift. There might be habits that need to be dealt with. There might be lifestyle changes that need to be made. And let me tell you, you're not hearing that from me first. Christ is telling you that right now. And he's told you that since he saw it, and he always has seen it. You're not hearing that from me first. Believe me, he came to my door with a battering ram and said, we're cleaning this up now. And I didn't want it. My sin nature didn't want that to happen. But boy, when he made it happen, the relief and the joy was beyond measure. The work of the spirit, the work of the flesh is never, ever more gratifying than the fruit of the spirit. And it never will be. That's not God's design. Remember, these things are opposed and cannot coexist. Look back at 17 and 18. We're going to drill this into our heads today. For the desires of the flesh, verse 17, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Because of that sin nature, we wish to disobey Christ and follow the ways of this world, living in the ways of this world. Especially if you work in a situation where you're a lone Christian in a sea of non-believers. Boy, that gets tough. That gets hard. But guess who's right there with a hand on your shoulder constantly? Your Christ. That's why it's so important to be part of a body of believers and stick there. So that way people can rally around you. Say, I know you, my sister. I know you, my brother. Let's pray together. Yes, your God is a, is a, has his hand on you at all times and is leading you at all times. But a solid commandment and a serious one is fellowship with other believers. Get a support group of people that you're constantly in contact with. It doesn't have to be large, but people you can turn to. To say, the works of the flesh are plaguing me today. I need some prayer for the fruits of the Spirit in my life. Find a group of people whom you love and whom God loves and stick with it. We seek to match the world, fit in, exist, instead of seeking the world Christ has in store, the one promised to those in relationship with him. I keep saying relationship. Does knowing God get you to heaven? Does believing in God get you into heaven? Even the demons know and believe in who God is. What's the difference? Working relationship. Are relationships easy 100% of the time? Is operating with Christ always 100% easy for us? But does God have a failure in that relationship? No. It's that sin nature. 
It's the works of the flesh manifesting in our lives that keep us from that perfect relationship. That's why he put the fruit of the Spirit in. That's why he's changing us and sanctifying us. What opposes us and keeps us from doing what we in our sin nature want to do? The Holy Spirit. As believers, he sent the Holy Spirit for a reason. To clean out, carve out, sometimes beat out that sin nature. Depending on how stubborn we can be. And I know I was pretty dang stubborn and can still be. God will cleanse us if we are asking him to and we're in a working relationship. Because they can't coexist. The hope in this instance is that if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you will not be bound to repeat these sins habitually. We are being, as stated in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. We're a new being. Listen here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is the old flesh, the old body, Existing simultaneously with the new one bestowed by Christ. No, they cannot coexist. They separate. We are not bound by Satan or the law of sin if we are in relationship with Christ. That's the only way. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you are still bound by your sin. And you're not escaping that. And Christ is just going to keep hammering and hammering or maybe it's a gentle call. Whatever it has to be to bring you home. He will approach us in whatever way we need. To somebody who's shattered gently as a friend, as a father, as a healer. To someone who's stubborn with mile-high walls, with a battering ram or a tank. He will do whatever he needs to bring you home. To stand on the side of sin, Christ promises his justice is swift and sure. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. However, is that the life of a believer? Is the life of a believer designed to be one of sin? No. Is that the life of someone in relationship with Christ? No. Is that what God has destined for his beloved, those who are made in his image. No. He did not destine us to live the rest of our lives in sin. Destined us to live occupied by the works of the flesh. He destines us to embody the fruits of the Spirit. And do something miraculous in our lives. And through his miraculous grace, it spreads to others. I've always imagined it like folding into a blanket. This blanket of love spreads out across the world in a circle. And as it reaches somebody, they may run from it, they may hide from it, but eventually they're okay and God has pulled them into his love and the blanket slides over them. And the blanket then has a new place to stretch out from. And it stretches and stretches in this blanket of warmth and love. So we're not standing out and saying, ha ha, I did some good for God today. What's that sound like? Sound like a Pharisee to me. Sounds like a Sadducee to me. I followed every rule God put down. What did he call the Pharisees and the Sadducees? You brood of vipers. The image is more like sliding into God's grace and allowing him to take over completely and move on to somebody else.
we absolve into Christ's love and he moves forward. His intention is not to remain in sin. Now here's the good news. We've turned the page. We're on to the second part of this. If that's not his intention, what is he doing and what does he want to do to pull us out of it? Our last two verses describe how far sometimes we must go, in some cases, to pivot from flesh to spirit in Christ Jesus. Look at 24b through 26. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Sometimes it takes a crucifixion of our flesh. That is never fun. And we as Americans remove so far from that time We understand what a crucifixion is. We understand how hard and horrible it was to endure. But we don't really understand it. We weren't there to see it. And we especially weren't there to see our God take his crucifixion. But it takes a monumental amount to cleanse us sometimes. Why is it so hard to cast off the flesh sometimes? Because it takes a literal, spiritual crucifixion of the flesh and its passions and desires. It's not just, oh, I cut out the sin of, say, anger. Over-angry. I'm just so angry all the time. But I cut it out. I'm good now. But then you seek any time to be angry. That's the desire of that work, is to continue in angry. The passion of feeling... Some people feel really good after they get out of a fight. It makes them feel alive. Does that glorify Christ? Let's look at another example of this in Matthew. Matthew 16, 24-26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's a very literal call to cast off sin and the works of the flesh. Now listen to that imagery. Crucifixion. Lose your life. Does this sound like Christ is playing games here? Does it sound like Christ is taking this lightly? Crucify your sin. Lose the life of sin nature and accept the life Christ is trying so desperately to bestow on you. We live so long in this humdrum, my sin's kind of okay, I'm just, I'm not even going to think about it. That's not the imagery he's using here. He's like, when you get to it, make sure you cast off your sin because I, I got a better thing for you, but whatever, just take your time. Is that the imagery? Crucify it. Lose that life of sin. We can be tempted to gain the entire world 
thriving in the works of the flesh. And believe me, we see it all the time. Do the enemies of God who are constantly living in the work of the flesh, how many of them do you see that may be in a horrible spot and you're like, man, that person's got it bad? How many of them do you see that are absolutely thriving in our eyes, in the world's eyes? They got all the money. They got all the car. They got the wife, the husband, the family. They've got it all. The houseboat on Lake Cumberland, they got it all. But what does their soul look like? They may be perfectly fine or they may be wallowing in the works of the flesh. They may be wallowing in their sin and miserable. Why is there such a high suicide rate among celebrities who have it all? Because their hearts are still not at peace. They've not embodied these works of the Spirit. They've not hold on to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. They're not overflowing in their life. And that is our call. If we spend our whole life chasing after the world and get it all, and we have no concept of Christ or the fruits of the Spirit, what's the cost? What is the end result, even if you get all the things in the world, but you don't have Christ? Eternal damnation and separation in hell, my friends. That is the cost. No matter what living by the flesh gains you, what did Matthew just say? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What's the point if you're not spending eternity with Christ? And how much more does he want to bestow all that upon you the right way? Look at the lilies of the field, how radiantly he clothes them. How much more won't he clothe you? The sparrow doesn't worry about where to eat or what it's going to do. How much more will your father provide for you? We don't have to embody the works of the flesh to gain what we need or what we want. Christ knows what we need. And he's more than happy to reward us what we want if we're seeking him first. If we're putting him first. If everything we do is for him, then he's more than happy to oblige us. But it's so hard sometimes. The beauty of this, the point, the hope, the fruit of the Spirit leads us away from the anger, from the pain, the jealousy in our lives, and lets us arrive at eternal relationship with and salvation through Jesus Christ alone. The fruit of a spirit, the fruits of the spirit of another believer brought you to Christ. The fruits of the spirit manifested in another believer brought you to Christ. Unless some of you may have grown up alone and God approached you as himself, you were most likely talked to or talked to by another believer holding on to the fruits of the Spirit. You might have been a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a friend in college. Brother Peter talks about his friend. It wasn't until after college that his friends manifesting the fruits of the Spirit started to minister to him and disciple to him. The fruits of the Spirit are what brought you to God. And when you start to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, people recognize Christ in you. Not you, Christ in you. Have you ever been blown away by somebody approaching you with a random conversation you never thought would happen? I had a lady, a co-worker the other day at work, 
she opened up to me about the struggles of bearing a child, and she's in her 60s. This lady who is much older than I am, could easily be my mother, is talking to me about all those years ago having trouble bearing her two daughters. I don't know this lady. And she brought this forward. And when we got done with it, I encouraged her, and I'm like, let's talk about this. Let's dig into this. And when she walked away, I basically looked at God and said, okay, you were doing something there. I can acknowledge that much. I pray that I said something that glorified you. But why do we think that is? Why do we think people out of the blue sometimes approach us? It's the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in their lives. They didn't see you necessarily. They saw Christ. What more beautiful a picture. I would love it if when I stood up here today, not a one of you ceased to see Caleb Potts and saw Jesus Christ in his glory preaching through. That would be the best thing on the planet. Christ is the way forward. If the Spirit lives within us, then He has started to manifest that fruit of the Spirit in our lives and is sanctifying us into the beings the Trinity always intended us to be. Let's remind ourselves again. Did Christ cause sin in our lives? No. Did God send forth pain and suffering into our lives? No. What happened? We chose it. And God loved us enough to give us that choice and save us from ourselves. We're not mindless angels who have no choice but to follow God. We're not demons who have complete authority crushed down upon them by Christ. We have the choice. Knowing that we were going to choose the wrong thing, we had the choice. And he loved us enough to correct it immediately. Christ was prophesied from Adam and Eve forward. And the Holy Spirit was destined to indwell the hearts of people and manifest the fruit of the Spirit from the moment Adam and Eve fell. That's when Christ started working. So rejoice in that, friends. So many times we sit in church and we're, I, I'm guilty of this, trust me. That was a good sermon. I like that sermon. I'm hungry. That happens so often. Instead of embodying that joy, embodying the truth. Remember what Peter said a couple weeks back? He said, there's not been a single person on the planet that has ever given their lives completely to God. And oh, what a miracle it would be and what good they could do if they did embody that truth, that rejoicing power. God has provided the antidote. Yes, you were born in sin. Yes, you manifest the fruit, the spirit, the works of the flesh. Yes, you manifest those from your birth. But guess who put a stop to it? Christ has put a stop to it. There is hope for peace, for kindness, for goodness. There is hope for all of these things. There is hope against anger or pain or drunkenness. Christ desires that you be healed from the things that are afflicting you. That addiction you may be fighting. The relationship that seems too hard to mend with a parent or sibling or a co-worker. He wants you healed from both of them. 
It's not an instantaneous thing, friends. It takes time to manifest the fruits of the Spirit across an entire life and cast off the flesh. But Jesus invites you to bring that journey as soon as possible, to join Him. All Christ requires to begin to reap the fruits of the Spirit are the same ABCs we teach our kids in VBS. And we're going to wrap up with this concept. A, who can say it with me? I know you all know your, your VBS ABCs, right? I know Kathy and Mom for sure are saying them with me. A, admit to God that you are a sinner, desperately in need of a Savior, and you can do nothing but trust in Him to be saved. B, believe that Jesus is God's Son, one and only Son, fully God and fully man, who came to redeem the people of the world and pay for their sin. C, confess that Jesus is the only salvation that saves lives and that you need Him truly. When you arrive at that point, we start to cast off the works of the flesh slowly. How much better are these qualities than the lives of mankind than the qualities we previously stated? Peace against anger, kindness against jealousy, self-control against drunkenness, self-control against everything we can't seem to control about ourselves. You want to control your urge to maybe hurt some coworker? You want to control the urge to rage at somebody on the road? You want to control the urge to not eat the whole box of Oreos? Self-control is an aspect of God's grace too. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. Has any spiritual good and good that glorifies Christ come from responding with a work of the flesh and not a fruit of the Spirit? Has any good ever come to God by responding in the work of the flesh? It might make you feel good for a while, but what do you know in the back of your brain that God's not happy with you? But He loves you and He seeks a way out. Here's the big disclaimer before we end. Disclaimer, who do the fruits of the Spirit glorify? Christ. Who has all the credit? Christ. Christ sanctifies believers so that He alone is glorified. And we see that none of it is possible without His sacrifice. ABCs. A. Admit that God is God. B. Believe that His Son is who He said He is. And C. Confess your sin that you need to be part of His family. That is the message of hope. While there are dire consequences to choosing sin in our lives and choosing to keep in the works of the flesh, Christ instantly starts growing good things, God-glorifying things, once we enter relationship with Him. We say all the time, is, the, is being saved the start or the end of the process? No. It's the very beginning. And we grow and we grow and we grow and we grow. Believers in the room, Maybe you've fallen back into a work of the flesh. While we cannot be the same, and the flesh and the spirit cannot coexist, Satan is crafty enough to plague us with an aspect of sin for a time. And we've let him. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper early, later today. Earlier would be going back in time. That'd be impressive. We're going to go into our Lord's Supper service later. And one of our big things that the Bible talks about is making sure your heart is prepared. If there is a place in your life where you know you believe and your sin cannot coexist with the Spirit, but something is aching your heart, I beg of you, cast it out now before it's too late.
I had that moment where sin tore it out, threw it on the ground, and stomped it to obliterate, uh, to obliteration. And he'll do it whether you're willing or not. Don't go into this Lord's Supper with something that is holding you from worshiping like you need to. Christ is the thing you cling to and the fruit of the Spirit will manifest. You know you might have a wonderful fruit of the Spirit in your life. Cling to it. Say, God, I'm struggling here, but this is where you've grown some fruit. Help me cling to this. Hold on to this. Nurture this. Grow this. And by focusing on that, He'll grow the others. Cling to Him. Cling to Him in all things. He has provided the way forward into peace and prosperity that glorifies the only creator of the universe and our only Savior, the only one worthy of our praise, Jesus Christ. So if you today are examining your life and thinking, the works of the flesh are dominating me, I need the fruit of the Spirit, come to God. ABCs. I need you, my God. I don't want to live in anger or self-control or sexual immorality or lack of self-control or sexual immorality. I want to live in peace and kindness. He says, come to me, my child, and we'll make it happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're more powerful, you're more capable, you're more ready to do whatever it takes to heal our hearts to bring us home. You are capable and amazing and love more than we could ever fathom. Your love is without end and you seek to bring the fruits of the Spirit home into our lives through your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, descend on these people. Change hearts. You changed my heart when it wasn't willing. Change hearts. That's the only way forward. If we want to see our church grow, we want to see your life grow, we want to see everything happen that we so desperately wish would just magically happen, you're commanding us to do it. Change our hearts so that we would. Change our hearts so that we start discipling, we start praying, we start evangelizing the people around us. Like Brother Oren said, if they're not in this church, it's outreach. We go in your name. Change our hearts to where that's the only option. Manifest the fruits of the Spirit. Cut out the works of the flesh. We love you, our God. And we just want to see you come home. We pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen.